Ecclesiastes, that is just past the book of Proverbs. You go to the book of Proverbs and hang a right, as it were, in your Bible, and you'll get there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which is the last chapter of that book. Appreciate you being here this morning. I read an interesting quotation last week. It said uh, how, how to enjoy and succeed in life is to be fully where you are. There's a lot of, a lot of good in that statement. When you are at a certain place doing a certain thing, give yourself to that. And uh, certainly that's true when the Word of God's being preached. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse 8, you follow along as I read aloud. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandment. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let me pray with you. Father, help me this morning to preach your word clearly and help your people to listen intently, please. Amen. Words of the wise. Look what it says about it there. It says the words of the wise in verse 11 are as goads. I want you to note that word. And as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the go and the stay of wise words. The go and the stay of wise words. The words of the wise seem to create two different things here. When I explain to you further what a goad is, some of you know that, but when I explain it a little further, you'll understand how that, what that means and what that implicates, what the implication of it is. And it seems to create two different things. One is to go, to be moved, to be stirred. The other is to stay, be fastened, be solid. And uh, I believe that uh, the Scripture teaches the go and the stay of wise words. The go is indicated by the goads. Explain to you what a goad is. By the way, I appreciate you young folks being down here in the front. They couldn't peel me off of the front seat when I got in church as a teenager. That's where that was my spot right down there. And uh, I appreciate you being here. Not against those who are not sitting right down here. I just appreciate you all be here, being down there. The uh, but what is a goad? Goad is an instrument used for moving cattle of any type. I'm saying cattle. In my mind, I'm thinking of what we think of as cattle here. Of course, I'm very farming in that. 
But in the Bible, the word cattle is used, it talks about the lesser cattle. That term's also used for sheep, goats, and those sort of things. The hooved, hooved mammals. And um, a goat is something that was used to move cattle, usually the larger type of cattle with it. Um, the shepherd was given a, a rod and a staff, and uh, it wasn't given a goat necessarily. And the Bible does that, it goads people. <laughs> I mean, have you ever heard that term someone goading something? You know, some of us older folks know that, don't we? A goat was an instrument of type that would sometimes just be a long stick, if you will, and a sharpened one end. We used something like that on the dairy farm, and it had a point on the end of it. It was called a cattle prod. I mean, you know what that is, right? They made electric cattle prods, but we didn't have any electric cattle. <laughs> And uh, Melvin, he, uh, he, he didn't do that. He didn't, didn't, have, uh, didn't have that. We just had the old-fashioned knife. And the purpose of a goat, it's an instrument used to make the animals move when they don't want to move. Uh, when you're moving groups of animals, and especially cattle, you get one that bows up and stops right where you're trying to move a bunch of them through a gate or from one area to another one of them just stops moving, it'll block up the whole place. And then what ends up happening, the ones in the back who have more area to move around will take off on you and you got to get them back together. You have to get the lead one, get them moving in the right direction. Others will follow if you get the first one going properly. And the goads are something that was used to prick is the word, like you prick your finger like they do if they're taking a blood test or something like that. Uh, but it's a little poke. It's it's the idea of pain. The idea is you're not stabbing to injure, but you're pricking your... It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them hurt. It, it, it's not pleasant to them. And the idea of it is, so you poke them so they'll move to where you want them to go. I've told you before, I learned a lot of things on the dairy farm. Another way you could get cattle onto a, a cattle truck, they had to get them up the little ramp in that. You can grab their tail and twist it. You got that cow's tail twisted. That cow, that cow will move forward. There are certain dangers inherent to that move. <laughs> the rest of the crew will call you freckles before it's over. You just same reason. Never walk behind a coughing cow. Just take my advice on that, if you would. Just take my advice on that. Right? <laughs> And uh, that, that, twisting, that twisting is the way to do it, but that's not the best way. That goad was made to move. And quite often, and you'll see in something we're going to study in a moment, quite often the response is what you would expect out of an animal being poked with a sharp instrument. They'll kick. And of course, cattle kick out to the side generally. Uh, and uh, they'll, they'll kick. And they'll kick. And sometimes you'll get one and you poke them a little and they'll move. And they'll go ahead. That's easy. They don't have to endure a lot of pain. They'll move because... They don't want to be poked. Every now and then you get one that just won't, won't move for anything. I thought for sure I was going to have to use a, use a goat on Miss Alyssa this morning. We got in a, we got in a, we got in a debate over who was going to go in the, the, the door first out here this morning. She was trying to be kind. I was trying to be a gentleman. and we almost, She almost lost her kindness. I almost lost my gentlemanliness. <laughs> and, and so, uh, sometimes they move when, when, you, when you poke them uh, going. And the other ones will just bow up on you. Literally, that's where the term comes from. They bow up on you. And you got to poke them again. And poke them again. Eventually, you get the poker poking hard enough, they'll move. But yeah, I've seen it poke the word the blood that's coming. You poke. Get moving. you got to get moving. 
And you say, well, how hard do you have to poke? That's entirely dependent on what that cow wants to do. And so there's a go and there's a stay to wise words. A cousin of mine who has since passed said to me once about the Bible, what I think he meant to be a a, uh, statement of respect towards the Bible. He said about the Bible, he said, well, you know, the Bible contains the wisdom of the ages. I took exception with that statement, still do. I've read all sorts of secular books and some of them contain some wisdom of the ages. Some of them have some good stuff in it. Some of them you can learn a lot of things from. That Bible doesn't contain the wisdom of the ages. This is not the accumulation of man's intellect and understanding and enlightenment. These are God's words. There's a big difference in those two things. These are literally the words of the wise. They come from God. You know the Bible tells us that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. Do you know that the Bible says uh, regarding the Lord, out of His mouth cometh wisdom, cometh understanding? These words came from God. They were given to people to write down for God. And now we have them. He's kept them over all these many centuries and millennia. And we have them now. And what is it? These are the words of the wise. And you are hearing when you hear the Bible what I'm telling you from the Bible when I'm reading the Bible to you this morning. You are hearing the words of the wise. And they are words that are to make you go. And they are words that are to make you stay. And the Bible says that the words of the wise are goads. Look at the context of what this came, how this came about. Look in uh, 12 there in verse 8. The preacher, which is what Ecclesiastes means, means the preacher. We speak of things that are ecclesiastical. They have to do with church. And they have to do with preaching and that sort of thing. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. You know what vanity is? It means it's empty. Hollow, no, no value. The preacher, the Bible says, with much wisdom is much sorrow. That isn't, that, isn't, uh, uh, that isn't telling us not to get wisdom. You just have to understand once you see things through some understanding of wisdom, you can't just simply say, oh, everything's wonderful. You know, you get these people occasionally just go through life and like, ah, like that. Yeah, they don't have a clue. They really have no idea what's going on. I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad situation. Maybe I'll just leave them alone. They may be happy, yeah. But the Bible says, the preacher said, Vandy of Vandy's. Say the preacher, all is vanity. He had seen that all of mankind is broken. He had seen that all of mankind falls short of the glory of God. He had seen that in wealth it was, well, there were a lot of things, but it wasn't anything at the end. He had seen poverty is not a virtue of itself. It seemed that there's one thing that happens to the righteous and the unrighteous. They, you have a limited time upon this earth. It seen all kinds of things. And he came down and said, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And deep inside, the preacher felt, man, it, it, almost, I don't think it's quite, quite the case, but almost, what's the use? He said this, you have to understand. But, but because the preacher was wise. Because the preacher was wise, look what he did. Because he, he understood that, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Why? Because people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And people need to have the knowledge of the holy. And people need to have knowledge to take care of their lives. And they, Do you understand what's meant by the knowledge of the holy? It's not just you finding out something about God. Now watch this. The knowledge of the holy is you find out what God said about how you're supposed to live. 
And that's not just subscribing to some rules. How do you interact with people? How do you handle disappointments that come? How do you handle fears that come to you? How do you deal with doubts that come in your life? How do you recover when you have, uh, you have uh, uh, transgressed against God and you have become uh, uh, defiled in your own eyes? How do you get back on your feet? How do you conduct yourself? How do you act in mercy towards those you have some, some uh, influence on in your life? How do you handle if riches come your way? How do you handle if you're dealing with poverty? How do you handle times of strength? How do you handle times of weakness? The knowledge of the holy. You learn how God wants us to deal and, uh, with each of these things and what God's provided for us so we can deal with each of these things. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, because he was... He, he still taught the people knowledge. He was teaching them sometimes, Brother Luke, when he didn't feel like they were in him or listening at all. There was a fellow, true story, he was preaching and apparently it got to a low point within himself. And everybody does that sometimes. He was discouraged. He was a pastor. And he came in and he was prepared and he was preaching and he was giving himself and as he looked about he saw by the account of what happened he saw just it seemed like nobody was paying attention a few people checking their watch people just going off sleep not paying attention and in a moment of flesh he took his bible and said you people don't care I don't care either I resigned this church as of now he walked out of the pulpit He regretted that many, many times over the years. Not a way to do things, but you can see that humanity could take somebody there, couldn't they? It could take you there. You could watch that. You could do that. You could do that with all sorts of situations. We have to be careful. We need the Lord. But here's what this preacher did. When he said vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher, he still sought to teach the people knowledge. Why? Because that's what God wants done. And that's God's people can still receive knowledge. And I'll tell you something that should be an encouragement to anybody who teaches somebody, whether you're teaching in a Sunday school class, whether you're teaching your own children, whether you're teaching somebody else's children, whether you're teaching on a job situation, you can't always tell by what you're looking at what's going on. Sometimes the people who look like they're the most interested just aren't even there. I know that's an encouragement and a blessing. And, uh, and sometimes those who don't seem to be paying attention all are getting it. And uh, you never know which is which. And, uh, and so uh, you say, well, how do you figure it out? Well, hey, good luck on that. I've not, found, I've not figured that out in 40 years of it. So what happens here is the, uh, and I'm not trying to anymore either, by the way. Footnote to that. That doesn't matter. That's not my job. And so he said he sought out. What did he do? He, he sought out. He taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed, so he paid attention, and sought out and set in order many proverbs. He gave thought to the way he put it out there. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, acceptable to God, useful to the people. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. He said, I want to have truth for the people, not philosophy. I can't even imagine being one of these little puppets they call a preacher that gets his sermons written for him from a headquarters somewhere and handed down to him and then just gets up and reads them. I'd rather dig ditches the rest of my life and be honest in my work than have that kind of nonsense ever get a message because the congregation wanted or somebody said it ought to be preached or somebody said something. No, never. Always from the Word of God and only from the Word of God. 
What did he do? He sought out these words. He sought out what was right. He sought out what was truth. Right? Because that's what's needed. It's the only thing that can help people. It's the only thing that can convert people. It's the only thing that can strengthen people. You don't need a bunch of fluff and philosophy. You need the Word of God. You're not going to run the race of your life on little fluff candy that you got. You need some, you need some meat and taters. If you're fancier than that, you need some meat and potatoes. <laughs> Mash it all up, it tastes the same. But notice it said the words of the wise are as goads. Now, here's the thing about it. Those goads, a goad makes the cow uncomfortable. That's why they move. That means words of wise, the Bible itself, and what you need to hear and what I need to hear are going to at times make us uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. You're going to get the point and you're not going to appreciate it. Yeah. That's what they're for. It's the go. It's to move us to do something. It's to send us to change our behavior pattern. So many thoughts in my mind right now, but let me stay on track with this. The, the goad, what is this? This is the idea that we are to be given the impetus, given the motivation to move by the words of the wise. In other words, they're supposed to be uncomfortable enough to make us move. I'm amazed at how many times people say, well, I'll tell you what, Something made me uncomfortable there. And the preacher said something. And tell you what, it felt like it was, I was being picked on. I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning that is really so self-centered that you think you occupied my mind all week to the exclusion of the rest of the congregation. But I can assure you that's not the case. Say, well, it's uncomfortable. Pointed right at me. Pointed like the end of a goat. Quit kicking, start moving. Look in Acts chapter 9. There's no better illustration of this than this scriptural illustration. Acts chapter 9. <laughs> it's a good arrangement. She holds the Bible, you change, you change the pages. I like that. I'm glad you're turning to find things. Acts chapter 9. I've explained the goad to you. Here we'll have Saul. His name would shortly be changed to Paul. But he was still known as Saul, known as Saul of Tarsus. Once you pay careful attention to the words which are used here. He was persecuting believers. Not just giving them a hard time. He literally had civil authority where he could put them in jail. Some of them were executed. He'd haul them off. He'd come in, take people's moms and dads. Take them away. This guy's rough on those early churches. Rough stuff. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. You catch that phrase, breathing out? It's this idea of somebody being so angry, they're just, ah! That's the idea of breathing out. This, is, this consumed him. He was breathing out, not just threatenings, but also slaughter. What he wanted was to kill every one of them. This was intense. 
And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him the letters. And this is the idea of giving him the authority, the papers he needs for authority, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, meaning people who had trusted Christ, who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He was to go to this distant city, capture them and bring them back to have them held under a religious trial. That's something, isn't it? Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Now what's so remarkable about that, young folks, later on it's revealed this was about noontime. About noontime. And the light was so bright. The light was so bright that it caught his attention. Uh, there, you talk about having to have a bright light in that type of situation. And it says, there shined around him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ not only has already been crucified, He was buried, He rose again, He walked this earth for 40 days, and He had went back to heaven by this time. But Saul hears this voice. And he said, why are you persecuting me? Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, Who's talking? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He never physically, Hunter, had Jesus in front of him persecuting. But he was persecuting people who believed on Jesus. And when we do despite, when we do wrong towards those who belong to Jesus, Jesus takes it very personal. I guarantee you, you could not come up and do something wrong to Mrs. Manning without me taking it very, very personal. You could not do a wrong to one of my children without me taking it very personal. And Jesus said, these are my... They're redeemed by my blood. These are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's actually my body. He said, you're persecuting me. By the way, that's one reason why one of the seven things God hates is they that cause or sow division and between believers. What do they do? They set one against another. God said He hates it right, because it's so destructive to His body. And so what He says here, He said, I want you to understand something. He said, I want you, I, you're persecuting Me. He said, you think you're hauling off these men and women, but you're perse- persecuting Me. Look in verse 5 again, if you will. And He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee, he's talking to Saul, to kick against the pricks. What's he talking about? Exactly what I just explained to you. Remember me talking to you about those goats? Remember what happens when they poke the cow with that goat? Kick, kick. You know what was happening in Paul's life? He's getting poked, and he's getting poked, and he's getting poked, and he's getting poked, but he don't move, he won't yield. Instead, he kicks, and he kicks, and he kicks harder. Do you know that Paul was there when Stephen was killed for his faith? He was a martyr. Now, especially the people 30 and under, so listen to this carefully because of the time period you've come up in. The word martyr is completely misused in our, our, our modern society. The word martyr comes from the martyrios is the word witness. It's a witness for someone. And the idea of it is that someone 
will not yield what they believe even if you threaten to kill them and even kill them rather than recanting or giving up what they believe. They'll hold to their belief rather than, than deny their Lord. Now, in the time you've come up, and you understand, people are a little older in here, so many things that are fresh in our mind in history are way back past before some of these were even around or cognizant of what was going on. You've heard people saying they're martyrs when they go and blow themselves up, when they take airplanes, fly them into a, a building, when they, when they go in and, and kill people because of what they believe and they say I'm a martyr for whatever faith. Those are not martyrs. Those are murderers. If I'm a martyr for Jesus Christ, I don't go injuring, killing someone who doesn't believe on Christ. If I'm a martyr for Jesus Christ, I have been captured. I am in this situation where I'm given the choice to either renounce the name of Jesus or suffer death myself. That's a martyr. First recorded martyr in the Bible that we have in the New Testament is, is a man named Stephen. And he preached clearly the Word of God. It's in Acts chapter 7. And at the end, they actually gnashed on him with their teeth. They rushed upon him. They went into a rage. And here's what they did. They took stones, big old rocks, stoned him to death. What a way to die. The Bible says his face became like an angel. And the Bible says he fell on sleep. I will promise you this, Natalie. The only one who can make that seem like just going to sleep would be the Lord. He's being beaten to death with stones. And the Lord made it so, 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 so beautiful and peaceful for us. And you know what? There was a fellow named Saul there while that was going on. Can you imagine how bloody and nasty that would have been? You know what he was doing? He didn't want to be guilty. Yeah, you know what it sounds like. He didn't want to seem like he was guilty, so he's holding everybody else's coats. He didn't throw any rocks. He's not throwing rocks. He wasn't he, he going in and killing these people at Damascus either. He's going to haul them off, and his hands can stay clean while he's causing them to be killed. So. And you know what? He saw Stephen die. He saw his face become like the face of an angel. He saw uh, him look up to heaven and say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He saw his face uh, become uh, so enraptured with what he was seeing beyond the physical world. And he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He had seen all of that. He had seen the people that he had hauled off to prison stand true for what they believed. You see, Paul or Saul had a religion he would kill for, but Stephen had a Savior he would die for. And there was a big difference in it. And God said, I'm poking you. I'm poking you. And you know what he did? He's kicked and kicked and kicked until this good day that we read about here. You get poked? Maybe, I'm sure it's not that drastic, but you get poked, the Lord wants you to do something. You get poked? What are you going to do? You're going to move where the shepherd wants you to go, or are you just going to kick? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, Aren't you getting tired of that? And that's the go. The go and the stay of the wise words. You say, Well, preacher, what's the wise then? Well, look back at your, your scripture there. Hopefully, you haven't lost it. It says, The words of the wise are as goads. We've understood that now. And as nails. Fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. It's interesting. The stay is indicated by the nails. <laughs> to go as we ought to go, we need to be stayed on certain things. I'll say that again for your consideration. To, to go like we should go, to go as we ought to go, we need to be stayed on certain things. 
We're not just going randomly. We're not going haphazardly. We've got to be stayed on certain things. I looked at this thing and I thought it's amazing. Notice there's a lot to be gained by understanding this phrase that's used there, fastened by the masters of assemblies. These are not nails randomly and crudely beaten in with an unsteady hand of an amateur. <laughs> you ever done that? How many of you would admit that you're amateur or a little less status when it comes to building? I'm in the little less status, okay? I've, been, I've had a hand in putting a lot of things together, but I'm not by any means a, a builder. These are purposely placed by the masters of assemblies. The skill, the care, and the nature of the master is shown in the manner and position in which they're placed. These are what the words of the wise are. Listen, God's wanting to get some words in you that will keep you, that will fasten you. And they're driven properly. They're driven rightly. Not just beating around, you know, every third hit you hit the nail. It's not that thing. They're appropriate for the task. They're appropriate for the task. God has different things at different times for us. Hunter, how old are you now, Doug? I'm 14. 14, right? So you're a year younger than I was when I got saved. Two years younger than I was when I started preaching the gospel. God put his hand on you. You're going to be ready to preach in two years? I hope so. The, uh, and so God has a different thing. Probably we both serve the Lord and we both want to follow the Lord. And I believe you love the Lord and you've got a Bible. But you know, there's some things I need in my life as a 58-year-old pastor that you're not dealing with as a 14-year-old young man. By the way, you have a grin and be grateful about that. That's a good thing, right? But here's the thing. God has for you what you need right now. God has for me what I need right now. So if you and I are both going to our Bibles and we're reading the same Bible and we go to the same Bible, I may, I may see or learn something from the Bible different. Not different as in it's contradictory, but I may get something different at that time than you do, even from the same passage, because God knows what you need, so He'll show you what you need. You and I might listen to the same preacher. Maybe we have a guest preacher in, and I'm listening as well, and I'm not doing the preaching. And maybe you and I are both listening. I might get one thing from that message that really speaks to what I need right now, and you will too. See, these are nails fastened by the masters of assembly. They are just what you need at the particular point in your life. God knows what that is. And God will give you what you need at the point where you need it. And so these, these are like that. It's interesting. You have the right, right thing for the right, uh, right situation. I did not come up um, with instruction about many things. And my mom instructed me very well, but my, my stepdad was not a teacher in any, anything. His, his favorite little phrase, I'd start to adventure in something. He says, now you don't know anything about that. You're going to get yourself hurt. So that was about the instruction I got on most things. And... I did get myself hurt a few times, but I did learn too. And I, I just didn't have that. Some of you have had maybe somebody in life that taught you things. Later on, my uncles did a lot more of that. Uh, but my, my cousin Barry, he, uh, his dad was always building something. They were always building a house or renovating a house. He grew up literally from the time he could walk knowing construction stuff. Um, he, he can cut the straightest line I ever saw. He doesn't even score or, or measure. He just looks at something drywall and cuts it, and it's all straight and goes like that. I, I mark it, put a straight line on it, and still mess it up. You know, he, he, he'd go. And so he grew up known, I mean, it was just second nature to him. I didn't know anything about it. We, were, we got some wood left over from one of the projects, and we decided we were going to build us a little tree house. And of course, being boys, we were going to build it up over something that would hurt you if it fell on it. And we're going to build it high enough for it to be dangerous. I mean, what's the point if you don't do that? Absolutely. 
And so we're putting it together, and Barry, we had some nails, you know, there are always extra nails and stuff. He knew he wasn't supposed to go ahead and get his dad's uh, pouch there uh, with nails, and we weren't supposed to break into the stuff. But there were always nails around from projects we could get in little cups and stuff. And uh, we got some nails, and I'm sitting here, man, I don't know, this is neat. Okay, we're going to do this, and we're putting steps up the trees. How many of you ever seen like that? You know, you're and I'm hammering in. Barry looks over at me, and he goes, what are you doing? I'm nailing these in. He goes, what are you using? I thought, boy, he's dense. I said, nails. He goes, those are six penny nails. Well, I'd never heard the phrase penny nail. I didn't know that indicated size and length of it. I thought, six penny nail. Wow, those are expensive. <laughs> this is a long time ago. Pennies and nails. The warehouses are expensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, what's that? He goes, it's the size of it. I said, so? He goes, so? That's not what you use for that. And we were using sections of two by four. He said, you're barely going through. I said, so? He says, so it's going to pull off when you climb up it. I said, oh, that's a problem, man. I said, what do you use? He said, you think 16 penny and put in there. That's cool. I know I did. I got done that day. I was real young. And I knew what a six penny nail looked like. I knew what a 16 penny nail. I thought I was a carpenter. I did. That was knowledge I didn't have. I told my friend Mike. He didn't know anything about building. I said, you know what this is? Anyway, I was just, I, I was so advanced at the time. I wonder I didn't become an architect at that moment. But, I was using the wrong nail. It wasn't going to hold up. You don't want that. You don't, just a clue, you don't want a house that's going to put together the main framing with too light of a nail. Then I've told you about before when we were building the building over at Liberty, the church where I was at as an assistant before we came here, and we were putting up drywall. By this time, I knew a little more than just six penny and 16 penny. I was getting education as we built. And there were some people that came over. Um, to visit from Vandalia Baptist Temple, and they came in to help us on a work day. It was great. And I was holding one end of the drywall. We were putting up the drywall. I remember it had to be five eighths because of the rating where we were. And I said, All right, we got it. And I was holding it with my shoulder. And I didn't realize the fellow on the other end, he was the music director for that church, I didn't realize he knew less about nails, or maybe as little as I knew way back when. And I hear, Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, I turn around and say, What are you doing? He goes, Nailing it in. So what are you using? I don't know. I just picked up a pouch. It was sitting here when the guy's taking pouch in. He was using 16 penny nails to hang gravel. <laughs> I've thought of that when I've preached over at Liberty over the years. I thought, well, that piece of drywall should be pretty secure. Man. <laughs> Can I say to you the words of the wiser is nails fastened by the master's assembly. Not, God's not going to pound into you something you're not ready for yet. And God's not going to give you something too light for what you need. But we have to be attentive. We have to want it. We have to be receptive to it. And God wants to do something for it. Let me say to you also, because they were nails uh, fastened by the Master's assembly, they're driven straight, they're driven true, and they're driven deep. Um, God's truth through the words of the wise, may they be driven straight, true, and deep in our hearts. Not a surface knowledge. I marvel at people who for years said in a Bible-believing church that opens that King James Bible and preaches and teaches out of it, who are taught sound doctrine, who in a moment will go and join another church, but not a church of like faith, but go to something that totally is off in the manner of salvation, totally off in the matter of the Bible, totally off in the matter of baptism, totally off in the matter of church structure, and just discard, and it's like the nail never drove in. May the words of the wise drive something in us straight, deep, and true. So that if 
others decide not to walk in the old paths and others decide not to follow the way that's right, we'll have something inside us that will keep us following the Lord so He can be honored by our living. May God help us to do it. God's Word, which is settled forever in heaven, needs to be settled in us. And it needs to be settling to us. Let's go forward stayed on eternal truths. That's the state. Let's go forward stayed on eternal truths. God's Word settled forever. Some people are always, you know, wanting to question, question, question all the basics. I'm not talking about learning. I'm not talking about growing. I'm talking about they just, nothing's ever settled. You ever just get settled and go forward? Sometimes people are like that and they go to purchase something, aren't they? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I should get that. I don't know about this. I don't know if that's what... And then they get it. They make a decision. And then they spend all the rest of the day saying, I don't know if I should. I don't know. And God's dear name, will you just hush and do something? In God's dear name, can we just get settled on some basics of the Bible? Can we just get settled on the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh? Can we just get settled on the flack? Uh, the flack? No flack. The fact um, that Jesus... <laughs> I don't want flack about the fact either. But the, the, the fact that Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners, can we get settled on the fact that salvation is by grace and it's not of works, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast? Can we get settled on the fact that God's people are supposed to live like God's people, are supposed to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world? Can we just get some things settled on the Word of God and let the Word of God, which is settled forever, be driven, driven inside of us and say, here I stand. I can do no other. It literally is sometimes embraced as a, a badge of intellectualism to never be able to settle on anything or to say that there's no real such thing as truth. Sure. To propound that you may know some facts, but truth you can't really know. It'd be like Pilate after he washed his hands, prior, excuse me, to him washing his hands, trying to make himself guiltless in the matter of Christ's crucifixion and the political betrayal involved in it. And he said before that, he said to Christ, what is truth? And he never knew. They're put there. By the way, they're put in the proper place. He said, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, it's not so far to the end that you split the wood out. <laughs> Here, do that. I'm notorious for that. I, got, I always got to watch it. And it's not merely catching the edge. You ever nail two things together and then they don't hold and you find out you just barely caught the edge of one of them. No, that's not the way these are. These are nails fastened by the Master's assembly. God will put it where it needs to be. He'll get it right. He'll get it true. He'll get it in there. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs 15.23, listen to the statement. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? A word spoken in due season. The right thing at the right time. Let me mention it later. And, uh, this evening the message but speaking to a fellow on Friday and we're talking to him at the gospel and talking to him trying to make sure that his understanding that he understood salvation was not by works it's not a gradual journey you're on to eventually to get to God but Christ died rose again and we must understand come to him with a heart of repentance knowing that we've sinned against the Holy God and receive him as our Savior come to him now we're talking along these lines. Having a good discussion, by the way. I mentioned in Sunday school just briefly, he brought up several different things. Brought up several different things during that discussion. 
he uh, mentioned this or that. And it was a good discussion. It wasn't argumentative. It wasn't that type of thing. There were many things he mentioned, several things which were just not so, but I didn't jump on them. I didn't go after them. Why? Because that wasn't what it was about. A word fitly spoken in due season. He was, the main thing he was needing to hear from me was not me correctly. It was off on this, or he had this crazy idea about this. And, and he, he's one of the many people, and it's right now it's really an amazing popularity of it. People are fascinated with this saying. It's not new, but it's really getting popular. Uh, of lost books of the Bible, yeah. Yeah. Book of Enoch, you know, the book uh, Babylon, as it's mentioned in the Bible, you know, the, the letter which is written in Babylon, the uh, the uh, the book of uh, the book of Adam and Eve, it's a bunch of them there. People fascinated. Well, you know, over the centuries, part of the Bible may have been lost or something. Or, but you can't just get settled that we have a complete Bible. Well, there's more damage and danger than that than I can even explain to you right now. And I'm not, I'm not going to divert into that. But there were a couple, three things that were said that were very obvious. But listen to it. And I'm going, this will help you understand what this talking about the words of the wise and how their names, they'll hold you. He didn't need to hear from me, me correct this or that, or even deal with some historical inaccuracies that were there, that sort of thing. You know what he, the issue was? The key issue was, and we got down to this, why are you actually trusting? Do you understand that if you could be good enough to go to heaven, if you could in any way be a part of that, if your goodness could do it, then everything Jesus did on the cross was a mockery. There was no point of a sacrifice in our place if we couldn't accomplish what needed done. And I gave him scripture, quoted scriptures and, and such with that. Why? Staying on. Do you understand there's a lot of questions you'll have in your mind? There's things you'll wonder about, naturally. God made us with a reasoning mind so that we can understand and grow in Him. He gave us a questioning mind so we can understand and grow in Him. But do you understand that God will fasten in your life some things if you will attend to know Him, if you will trust His Word. He'll fasten some things in you that will keep you from strength, that will give you a solidity, that will give you strength. And God knows what you need when you need it. He puts it in the right place at the right time. And it comes together. And by the way, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I was reading a book. It was published in 1929. It's about cross-examination of witnesses. Interesting book. Training for lawyers. So just expect, if you come to my office, it's going to be a little different now. Um, but it's a good book. By and large, the end of it was uh, kind, of, kind of interesting. But... The fellow that was writing it gave no indication of any religious leaning one way or the other in his writings of this book. It wasn't the treatise of the book and nothing came through that would give you any indication. But he made an interesting statement about midway through the book. He, he, he made the statement, he, he, as a cross-examiner someone who trained lawyers and such, he said, truth is always consistent with itself. That's, that's a good statement, actually. That's a good little statement out of that book. Can I tell you? You say, well, how do I know something's being fastened? Well, and this will lead me to my last point here, because it will be consistent with the whole body of the evidence in the Bible. Truth is always consistent with itself. If, you, if you're learning something that's truth, it hasn't gone off on a, on a tangent away from what the rest of this teaches. If you are on something that seems to be on a tangent, in some way in opposition to what the rest of this teaches, then you indeed are on a tangent. <laughs> it, isn't, it isn't truth. Because truth 
the body of truth will always show itself to be consistent. Then, this was amazing. I don't know how many times I've read this and did not get this until I was preparing it for, for preaching here. Look again at our text real quick. If you're there, please. I, I never noticed something about this. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads. We learned about that. And as nails fastened by the plural masters of assemblies. <laughs> I thought, wow. Here's what I've put down. The masters are many, but the shepherd is one. They are nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. The masters are many, the shepherd is one. Wise words may come from many people in your life. One may speak to a particular part of your life, another may speak to another. Just give heed that the words that you're paying attention to match what comes from the one shepherd. I've received a lot of advice over the years. Some of it was good advice. Some of it was good advice I didn't realize till later it was good advice. I've received some instruction, some admonition over the years. I've received rebuke, reproof over the years. But I will tell you the common thing that every part of it that's valuable has, it comes from one shepherd. All of it was in agreement with or actually came from the actual Word of God. It either was in agreement with, it matched it, or it actually came from the Word of God. Because there's many masters. And here's the thing about it. You can learn something from most everybody. And you can learn some from people who are not complete people as far as you would not learn completely. God, I just was interested and knew what I was preaching and had a discussion like this yesterday. But there's one shepherd. Everything goes through that analysis of is it substantiated by what this book teaches? There may not be a particular verse on it. You may be dealing with the business matter and how you conduct business. But you will find out if you learn and you start learning the Bible, let it become a part of you, you'll find out whether what you're being presented with matches integrity, stewardship, diligence, these things, see? And, and so you've got a framework within it. He said, oh, it's a purely business matter. Is not business part of your life? Is not our life to be for God? Does not the Scripture teach that we are to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life? What issues do you think it's talking about? It's talking about everything. And so, you know, I've known very honest, very good, upright and strong and good, diligent, working business people. And I've known people in the business world that were crooked. And it's hard issue. I'm thinking one man right now won't give any details away at all. Just a couple, three of you may know him. But the, uh, one, one man right here, never been to our church or anything, but he was on both sides of that one time right now. And he, uh, back in that crooked stage, man, some things happened. And the proofs of life got to him. And now it's been a lot of years, a lot of years, and he's shown himself to be honest from that point forward. What happened? God did something to him. You know what happened? He started, that part of his life started being controlled in a different way. So what are these masters of assembly? Who's trying to assemble something in your life? You know, you may have people who care about you. 
want to do you some good as much as they understand doing good. I, and I mean by that, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying not everybody's relationship is the same towards you. Not everybody's care for you is the same as another person. Some care deeply, some just know you on the surface, and that's the nature of human relationships. But God, but God will use the masters, presumably. Why? They'll use input from different ones to help you become a whole person, a complete person in Christ. If you'll have the wisdom to make sure it's all coming from one shepherd. Vanity of vanity, say the preacher all's vanity. I think he probably said that in his study when nobody's around. <laughs> when he got out, he taught people knowledge. He sought out proverbs. He sought out good words. Why? Because he knew what the words of the wise could do in the lives of people. And because of that, he wanted it to go out. Let's pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the happy thing that the Lord's day is when those two can come together. I pray you'll bless. May this truth be very, very real to us. May there be a hunger ignited in us for you because of it. May there be a steadiness born and growing because of it. Bless this invitation for your purposes, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Something you want to bring to the Lord, may I suggest to you? Bring in your heart to the Lord and say, God, I want to hear the words of the wise when they come to me. That's a good thing to bring to the Lord. May I suggest to you, say, God, I want to have enough discernment from your Bible to know if things that are coming to me match your Bible and are in agreement with it. Would that be a good thing? Maybe you could even step further and say, God, I'd like to be used of you to help somebody else and to influence them for good. I don't know what it may be. We have song invitation. Why don't you come this morning? Talk to the Lord.